You're listening to audio recorded at Mount Air First Christian Church. For more resources or to contact us, look us up at www.mountairfirstchristianchurch.org. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Grass withers, the flower fades, and the word of our God stands forever. So this morning we're going to finish up this next little section in Paul's prayer for the church at Colossae. He began this prayer after a section of thanksgiving in verses 3 through 8. We thank God for all that has happened, the, the faith, love, and hope section that, that we read a, a few weeks ago, and then this commendation of Epaphras, and then he goes into a prayer. He says, here's all the things we've been praying for you. In the past few weeks, we've seen this, this prayer coming out. We've seen a trilogy kind of of thoughts coming from from Paul in this prayer. The first two is this, that they would be bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God, bearing fruit, and they'd be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience with joy. And then this week is this, that they would have this thanksgiving. The word joy there at the end of verse 11, if your translation, the ESV that we read has that you would have patience and endurance and patience with joy, comma, giving thanks to the Father. But if you read the NIV or some other translations that you might have, sometimes it'll say with endurance and patience, giving joyful thanks, that their joy could either apply to the endurance and patience or to the thanksgiving. And I don't know that it changes the whole meaning of the prayer a lot. There's just thanksgiving is joyful. And if you're having endurance and patience because of God's might, there's, there's a joy that comes, we, just, we talked about last week, from being the strengthened with God's might. So there is this thanksgiving then that happens here in verse 12. Now, it may seem odd that Paul, after having this section of thanksgiving, verses 3 through 6 or whatever, that he has this thanksgiving for them, he then goes to a prayer and then returns back to thanksgiving. It's like, Paul, you can't do that. You had your thanksgiving section, now you're supposed to be praying, and then he ends up in thankfulness again. But Paul's letters are, are full of, of the idea of thanksgiving. Um, the Christian, it isn't odd that he would do this if you read much of Paul. Um, his letters exude and his life exudes thanksgiving. Four more times, this Eucharistic, this, um, this thanks, this Greek word for thankfulness or thanksgiving, four or five times in this letter, he's going to return to this idea of 
giving thanks, being thankful for who God is and what he has done. The, just this letter, and it will speak to them the, the centrality in all of Paul's letters, really, the centrality of thankfulness in the life of a Christian, that we are to be people of thankfulness. Now, proper thankfulness always has an object and content. Proper thankfulness always has an object. It's going to someone for what they have done and then the content for what they have done. It always has an object and it always has content. When you thank someone, there is an object, the one you say thanks to, and there's content, what you say thanks for. When someone does you a favor, you say thank you for doing whatever. Thank you for doing this. The object of your thanks is the individual. The content of your thanks is what they, what they did for you. And the same is true here. Now, those can get all messed up. Like, thanks, thankfulness doesn't happen when maybe you, you appreciate the person but not what they've done. Um, so, and, and, but thankfulness can also happen if you really appreciate the person and what they've done maybe isn't so amazing. But the fact that it came from them is very heartwarming. So, I mean, for an example of this... Um, you know, your kids will, will often go out and pick up a, a dandelion or a weed flower and bring it to you. And my yard is full of uh, creeping Charlie flowers. They're really beautiful purple little flowers. <laughs> but uh, creeping Charlie is not the best. But we've got tons of it. And they bring you a creeping Charlie flower. And you thank them. And, and there's a part of you that honestly is, because of who the person is, this child that you love and care for has thought of you when they saw the flowers. And so they pick the, the weed flower up and bring it to you. And so there's, a, there's an honest thankfulness. The, the content maybe isn't really the greatest, but the fact that it came from them is, is great thankfulness. Uh, a different example is when the person you are, has done something for you, you're very thankful for, but their content of what they've given you is not so great. So uh, yesterday, um, my, I, my daughter wanted a fort built. We have these things. Well, I think Dad and uh, Patty got us these things for Christmas one year, these giant cardboard squares, and you Velcro them together, and you build these giant forts, and she wanted one built. And while they were off having lunch, I came home for my lunch hour on the post office and spent my half hour uh, putting together a fort that was not the size she wanted. <laughs> and so I know my daughter loves me and is very thankful for me. So this is not, I mean, I know, I, and so we fixed it. We, have, we still have it up. It's, we, we made it better. But the, there's an object, dad, but when the content is not so great, your Thanksgiving's not so, you know what I'm saying? So there's object and content. And both of them kind of have to really exist in union and be pretty elevated for Thanksgiving to happen. I mean, and, and so Paul here is, is bringing up these two things, the object of thankfulness and the content of your thankfulness. Now, the object of our thankfulness, the one who our thanks is due, is in verse 12, giving thanks to the Father, God the Father. And the language of this passage is decidedly God-driven. I mean, when you read through this, it is all the things God is doing. God is doing. It is God who has qualified you. It is God who has delivered you. It is God who has transferred you. Give me thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. It's 
God doing, God doing, God the Father doing all of these things. It is God who has qualified you, has delivered us, has transferred us. There is nothing done by the Christian in this passage except the expressing of thanks for all that God has done. There's nothing of what the Christian has done in this passage. All of the work has been done by God. And this is why he is the sole object of all of our thanks. The Christian's salvation isn't a joint project between God and man. The Christian salvation isn't a joint project between God and man. And if, if you think, Darren, are you sure about that? That actually is an ancient heresy called Pelagianism. You can look it up. It's a fun thing to research that somehow God and man come together to make God's salvation project work. That is not the best. That's, that's condemned as heresy thousands of years ago, Pelagianism, that the, that, the, that the idea that Christian salvation is a joint project. It isn't. God is the one who saves. Therefore, thanksgiving, the object of our thanksgiving, is not God and kind of us. It's God. God the Father qualified you, delivered you, transferred you. If you think in any measure that you participate in your salvation, you're cutting off your real thanksgiving because you think it's due to you partially. It isn't. You do not qualify yourself. You do not deliver yourself. You do not transfer yourself out of the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his son. God alone is the savior. Now, we don't like to hear this. Naturally, we're like, I don't know. We don't like to hear this because our pride wants to have some skin in the game. We want to feel like we have done something. We have contributed. Our pride, it's kind of labeled as our self-esteem nowadays, but wants to prove that we can qualify ourselves. God should be kind of glad that I'm on his team. I mean, here I am showing up for Jesus, and so I'm, I'm kind of qualifying my, I mean, yeah, God qualifies me, but I'm kind of qualifying myself a little bit. We, the image we are far more comfortable with is not the God who qualifies us, delivers us, transfers us, but we're a little more comfortable with the idea that God's like kind of a coach, right? And so we're on the team, and, and God, he, he, he teaches us the drills. These are the things you should do. Here's how you should live. He gives you good techniques. You know, you want to, when you swing, you want to drive from the hip. You know, or he may tell you, he'll, he'll give you some good coaching tips. Maybe he'll even call the plays. And so we're absolutely thankful for God, the coach, who really helped us along, who really kind of set us you know, down a, a good path. But you know, really, if we hadn't been here, then Coach couldn't have done his job. So thanks, Coach. And kind of at the end of the day, I do get to lift the trophy a little bit because I was the one that listened to Coach and did the right things and kind of worked it all out. That's not the Christian picture of what God has done in saving his people. It is not this joint project between us and God. Paul's God is not your coach. The thanksgiving that overtakes Paul is this gratitude that comes from realizing that it is God alone who does the qualifying, who delivers and transfers us. That's why when we gather on a Sunday morning, we express thanksgiving unhindered, unrestrained to God alone. 
Because we are not the ones that qualify, deliver ourselves, transfer ourselves. God is the one who has done this. And so he alone is the object of our praise and our thanks. He is the object. There's no sharing, no 50-50, no 90-10, no 95-5, and 100%. The object of our thanksgiving is God for what he has done. But now thanksgiving does have an object and a content, right? Okay, so great, God is the one who does all the stuff, but what is the content? There is something that an individual is thankful for. And to state the obvious, you have to know not only the who of your thankfulness, God alone, but also the, the what, what has been done in order for there to be thankfulness. And that's these three ideas that Paul brings up that I've already been mentioning that, that grab our attention in this text. He has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He's transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. Paul says that God has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now what's being emphasized there with that in light is that there's this domain of darkness. There's these two camps. There's the camp of light. There's the camp of darkness. It's a, it's a theme that's played out many other places in the, in the New Testament and in the Old Testament even. Of There's a, there's a camp of light. He who walks in, in light. Um, the, thy word is a lamp unto my feet. That God is light. And then there's darkness. There is where you cannot see. Where you do not know. Where you are in darkness. There is this inheritance that is good. Hence being in the light. It's this, the, this inheritance that is of the saints in light. And then the language that reflects that it's interesting if you, if you do the, some biblical theology here, he's a bit talking about this inheritance that if you think about the children of Israel as they are in bondage in Egypt, they are delivered out, the exodus, they, they come out of Egypt, they cross the Red Sea, and they're wandering around in the wilderness, and they're going into an inheritance, they're going into an inheritance. This language reflects the people of God that as they went out from Egypt in the Exodus, God promised them this inheritance, this land of promise. And Paul takes up that theme here, saying that, that they were this foreshadowing of a greater reality that we as the people of God, how, how, how did the Israelites get delivered? That God delivered them out. You remember the whole scenario of Pharaoh and all the plagues and the, the, the Passover that goes on and God which splits the Red Sea for them to walk through and then drowns Pharaoh's army and then he leads them around by pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke and then he feeds them with quail and manna and then he keeps their shoes from wearing out. God does all this deliverance for the people of Israel into their promised land. And Paul uses that same kind of language that we have been qualified to share in this inheritance of the saints of light. It's likely this same inheritance that he mentions earlier in his prayer, or in his thanksgiving, he says, of this you have heard before, in the, or because or he's, he's giving thanks for them because they've heard of their faith in Christ, the love that they have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. He's already kind of referenced this inheritance, this coming reality. As Peter says in 1 Peter 1, 4, there is this inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. 
And Paul is saying we should be thankful, praying for thankfulness for them because what has qualified them to share in that inheritance? How do we qualify for an inheritance? Do we naturally qualify to share in this inheritance that God has for his people? We don't do it by earning it. We, this is, we do not work to become qualified. What Paul says, we're giving thanks because God has qualified us. All three of these terms, qualified, delivered, transferred, they're all kind of related to each other. And they're, they're very much words regarding the reality of our justification. Justification is the legal declaration of righteousness by God for the believer in Jesus. Justification, it's a kind of a fancy religious term, but it's a one you want to know what justification means. It's this legal declaration of righteous. Sins are forgiven. Righteousness is given in its place. And the, the sinner before God in Christ is now declared righteous. They are justified in God's sight. It's not to be confused with sanctification. Sanctification is your growth in godliness. That's where God continues to work on the believer, the one who has been justified. The Holy Spirit works on them, making them more like Christ. Sanctification. What we often do is we, we, we conflate those two or turn them around. We think, well, if I get sanctified enough, God might justify me. That's not Paul's writing. That's not the New Testament understanding of how the life of the Christian works. Justification is something God does, qualifies you for this inheritance of the saints in light. What have you done to be qualified, to earn, to get this justification? At one point, you do not deserve the inheritance, and the next moment that you do, it's very much a point in time. And the next moment, you are qualified when you just haven't been qualified. What do you do Nothing. It's what God does. He takes the righteousness of Christ and gives it to the one who simply looks to Christ, has faith in Christ, believes the gospel. He gives it to the one who has faith in Jesus, his life, death, crucifixion, and resurrection. The doctrine of imputed righteousness. God does it. That faith itself, Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, that itself is a gift of God. It is what he does. How do you get this incredible inheritance? God qualifies you for it. So why is our thankfulness due to him and, and, and an abounding thankfulness? Because we realize this is all of God. We have been qualified for this inheritance and it is not something we have bought or purchased or earned, but that God has given by his grace and by his mercy. So we've been qualified for this inheritance and also delivered from a dark domain. Paul is emphasizing the reality that we, by nature, are under bondage to sin. And it puts us in this domain of darkness. Jesus says in John 8, 34, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So we're not those who just occasionally sin. We actually are sinners who sin. We don't, we don't it isn't our sin that makes us sinners it is that we are by nature, in Ephesians 2, the earlier part, verses 1 through 3, we are by nature children of wrath. We are brought into the world as descendants of Adam, those who are predisposed to sin with a, with a depraved nature. And so therefore we do sin. And that sin then puts us in a dominion and a bondage of darkness that we have no key for. 
We're, we're, in a, we're in a prison cell, dropped off of a ship, sinking with no key. That's the state of every individual apart from the grace and mercy of God. The just bondage we were in because of sin and consequences, though, what Paul talks about, we are delivered out of this darkness. How? Christ takes that punishment upon himself. Instead of you sinking into the depths of hell and condemnation, Jesus incarnates, puts on flesh, lives the righteous life we should live, dies the death that we deserve, all the way into death, and then raises from the dead for the believer's deliverance. Did you have any part of Christ's work on your behalf? No, he delivered you from the dominion of darkness. It is God's work. He is the object of our object of our thankfulness. And the content is because look at all that he has done for us that we could not do for ourselves. This language is then continued. He has qualified us. He has delivered us. He's transferred us. Our citizenship, once in the dominion of darkness, is now in the kingdom of his son. We were once in the kingdom of darkness. We were under the spell of the wicked one and in this age. And God transfers the believer's citizenship to his own kingdom. And citizenship is meaningful. No matter where you go, no matter what goes on, you do not lose this citizenship in this kingdom. And this kingdom that the Christian is a citizen of is a kingdom that will not end. At the end of Psalm 103, he talks about his kingdom rules over all. This isn't, I say this with a bit of fear and trepidation, don't get too angry. This isn't, this isn't like being a measly, a citizen of the United States of America. And I say that not to, to denigrate being a citizen of the USA. I am certainly very glad that I was born a United States citizen and that I have the freedoms and the rights that I have as a United States citizen but they pale in comparison to being a citizen of the kingdom that will never fail, that will never go away, that will never fade, that will go on the, the, because the king of that kingdom is the alpha and the omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last. His kingdom will know no end. And that what the Christian has, once in the dominion of darkness, is transferred into this kingdom, becomes a citizen of this kingdom that will not end. There is no better kingdom than the kingdom that the, city, that the Christian comes into, that brought into, transferred into by the act of God saving them out of their sins. God is the object and the content is glorious beyond imagination. How has God done all of this? Well, at the end of the verse here, he's delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Christ has taken on the flesh, lived the righteous life we should have lived, died the death we deserve, conquered death for the salvation of all of God's people. And now anyone and everyone who looks to Christ Confessing the reality of their sinfulness and trusting in Christ's work to redeem them is forgiven of their sin. In him, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. There's only one way this doesn't produce rejoicing and thanksgiving in your life. Either you think you're pretty qualified yourself, so you think, oh, okay, God qualified me, but you know, I'm not too bad, you know, 
okay, God gave me a little extra. You, you might, thankfulness is diminished if you think you're pretty qualified. You don't think you're all that bad off. Or maybe you don't think the domain that you're living in is all that bad. You know, I'm doing all right. You know, the domain of darkness, that's a bit extreme. My life isn't that bad off. I mean, what's the big deal? It's, you know, we're, I'm doing all right. Or you don't think that your sin is that serious. You know, I've never murdered anybody. That's what kind of, that's kind of the common response. Well, sure, I've done bad things, but it, I've, I've never done anything that bad. Every one of those positions is a terrifying place to be in. To think you're qualified, to think the domain you're living in isn't all that bad, to think your sin isn't all that seriousness. Listen, sinners, sinners everywhere, you are unqualified for God's favor. You have nothing in you to merit God's favor. You are unqualified for God's favor and you are deserving of his justice, meaning an eternity in hell for your rebellion. That's what you are qualified for. The domain of your flesh that is the domain that your flesh is inclined to live in is the domain of darkness. There is no light down the path that your flesh wants to run down. There is no light down there. You, though you may think you've got a bright enough flashlight to light the way, you don't. It is darkness and it will end in utter and complete darkness, as Jesus says, with weeping and the gnashing of teeth. That's what we're qualified for. Think, Darren, why do I show up? Why do I tune in for this? <laughs> why do I show up for this? Because there's good news. And it isn't how you can qualify yourself. The good news is that there is one who will qualify you to enter, qualify you, has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Christ has come, and God's grace is powerful enough to save even the worst of sinners. Even people like me, the worst of sinners, God's grace is enough to take those who have no qualifications of their own to come out from underneath his wrath, and yet he saves them. One commentator says, God the Father has himself provided what sinners need to be considered worthy to join the people of God. Sometimes people think they can't go to church because they're too far gone. We had this conversation Wednesday night, you know, of people just saying, well, I'm not... You don't want me at church. I'm not, uh, that, that doesn't, I, I'm not the kind of person that should end up at church. Uh, they think they're too far gone. But it, it almost makes me kind of chuckle when someone says something like that. I don't laugh at them when they say it. But you just, it kind of makes you chuckle because the reality is if it were up to any of us, the reality is we're all too far gone. We're all too far gone. None of us is qualified to sit here and, and get God's mercy and grace. If we were qualified, it's no longer grace and mercy. We're all too far gone. None of us qualify. But it is God who qualifies through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. And if he has qualified you, keep your mind on all that is yours, owing 100% to the mercy and grace of God. I think we, how does this apply Practically, how does this make a difference in our lives? How, how often do you go through kind of a, an upsetting or difficult time and you just, uh, this is just my lot in life? I guess this is just the hand I've been dealt. And so we just kind of endure, you know, I mean, and, and, and the Christian is called to endurance and patience, but they're also called to an endurance and patience with joy. How does this really impact? Your life, well, those times when you're thinking, I guess this is just my lot in life. I guess this is just, this isn't the way I wanted things to go, but it's, 
It's just the way they went. These are just the cards I've been dealt. How many times is that a catalyst for a little pity party of our own making? Maybe I'm the only one that goes down this road, but I think that human nature, kind of a lot of us, well, I guess it's just, I guess it's just the way my life is. I guess it's just, this is just what it is. I guess this is just my lot in life. Well, what this passage tells us is that your lot in life is never all that you have. Your lot in life is never all you have. If you have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus, you have an eternal inheritance that is yours. Resignation to your lot in life is not your basic condition. Instead, you remember the qualification God has worked in you, securing your future. Now your base condition is gratitude that one day your true lot, not the circumstances of this life, but your true light of an inheritance, an eternal secure inheritance in Christ with the saints of light, that is your lot. That is your lot that one day will be fully revealed. No hand that you seem to have been dealt in this life is ever the full story for the Christian. The worst of hands that could be given out will not change for a moment the reality of the everlasting inheritance that God has qualified you for through Christ. What challenges and difficulties are you facing today? The beauty of the Christian faith is that we don't have to pretend like those hardships aren't real. We don't have to pretend like they aren't really hard, that those circumstances aren't difficult. We can face them, but we also can simultaneously grab hold of the promises of God and what he has given us through Jesus Christ. It is of such high value. The content, the object is him, and the content is of such high value that in all circumstances, even while grieving, we can be people of immense thankfulness, knowing what God has done for us in saving us and how secure we are ultimately in his hands. Let's pray. Father, give us eyes to see. I just pray this prayer for us that Paul prays there for the church at Colossae, God, that you would give us the knowledge of your will, God, that we would bear fruit, Father, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would, God, be strengthened with your glorious might for all strength and endurance and patience and joy, giving thanks to you, qualifying us, who qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light who delivered us from the dominion of darkness, transferred us into the kingdom of the Son you love, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. God, may the reality of that content and the one to whom all of it is owed, God, may we have eyes to see it, that our hearts might be filled with the thanksgiving and joy that is owed and due to you and to you alone. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.